0: God, we just thank you for the grace that you've given us, the love that you have bestowed on us. God, your word says that how great is the love that you have lavished on us that we may be called your children. So Lord, I just pray, as we consider the sacrifice and the grace you give, Lord, I just pray that we would just take a moment to listen to your word when we preach, and God, and that we will consider it how it relates to our own life. And God, to make the changes needed. That we may come in alignment to your will and to your way. We pray sing in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's try that again. That's a little weak. Good morning. morning. All right. Better. We welcome you, those who are watching and listening online. We thank you for joining us today. Would you give Justin and the team a hand for a great job? As as always, great, good time of sweet worship. We're talking today about something being helpful and actually in 1890 someone actually thought this was helpful. This is a real ad in a paper in 1890. Respectfully tell the ladies to get plump. Not making this up. They can buy Professor Williams' famous fatten you foods. Fatten you foods. Professor Williams. I'll paraphrase this, but women, you don't want to look like the poor, unfortunate, skinny woman who has to go home at night and her husband has to see how bony she is. Testimonies by Sarah McHenry from Philadelphia, posing with her two sisters, and they're fairly calorically challenged. It says, In four weeks, Professor Williams' famed You foods increased my weight 39 pounds. Gave me a, a womanly vigor and developed me finely. My two sisters also use fat in you and have gained much needed fleshliness. Wow. Now, men, are you listening? This is much better to give your wife than a diet plan, okay? Do y'all agree? I don't know how helpful this really was even then. It's certainly not deep, but I guess we could say it was wide, couldn't we? Right? We're we're in a sermon series, Deep and Wide. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And it is deep, what we're going to see, and and theologically profound, but it's wide enough for everybody here. A quick review, the book of Ephesians was written to the city of the churches, uh, maybe more than one church in the Ephesus area. We believe God wrote it through the Apostle Paul from house arrest in Rome. He's in prison. Four of his letters were written from there. It was probably written about A.D. 61. Jesus died and rose about A.D. 35, somewhere around in there. So that's a little time frame. Paul had gone to Ephesus on a missionary journey, started a church, stayed there three years, had a great ministry, uh, created all kinds of chaos in the town. It was a, uh, Ephesus no longer exists and has a lot of biblical significance, and I'll go into some more of that in the days ahead. But it was a town of about 300,000, a big population then. It was a port city. It was influential. It was rich. A a world-renowned library existed in Ephesus. So it was an intellectual city, a, a tremendous temple, to the the god false god artemis and the false goddess diana was there and people from all over the known world came to that place and worship it was very important to their economy and when people started becoming christians and turning from that it affected the economy and it got paul in a lot of trouble so he's writing to these people and this is a this is kind of a messed up place the Chris, being a Christian there was really hard. The pressure was on you. Nero is the emperor of Rome. And so it's, it's tough. And, you know, this week as I was, as I was uh, getting prepared, I thought, man, I, I want God to hopefully give me a word to give to you that's helpful because our world's in distress. Our, our country has got all kinds of problems, racial tension, stuff doesn't seem to be getting there. We're in tremendous moral free-for-all. all. Uh, a, a firefall, I guess you say, going downwards, and and then you got everything that's going on in the in Europe right now. I, I heard one commentator say this week that was the, this is the biggest invasion, a uh, military invasion since World War II. And then I heard some things going into this service about nuclear weapons. I mean, it is it is crazy times, and we need something to hold on to that's going to help us. And I think that these are things in this passage that will help us if if we will hear it and we will respond to it. Here's the first thing, know Jesus. Not N-O, K-N-O-W, Jesus, to know Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, this is preacher talk. This is what you're supposed to say. This is what I believe with all my heart. It starts in verse 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. We'll stop right there real quick. Here's what he's saying. I I have heard that you are true followers of Jesus. You have faith in Christ. It's manifest in the most obvious way, not that you can beat people up with your Bible or that you look down on people because you're more moral than they are, but because you love other people. Paul's saying, I know, I know you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. Paul was a person who prayed, and some of that's from his Jewish background. Jewish people set aside nine in the morning, 12 o'clock noon and 3 o'clock every day to stop for a time of prayer and it's obvious that some of the Christian people who converted from Judaism continue that you see that in the book of Acts Paul Peter was doing that and I think that's a one that's a great model that that man you need to set aside time to pray you need to set aside time when you and God can do business now I think it also tells us in the New Testament pray without ceasing and that you don't have to limit your prayer time just to certain times but man you need time to set aside for prayer so how do I pray for other people everything I'm going to show you this morning from this passage is a great way to pray for other people but it's also a great truth for you and I to swallow for ourselves how do you find help in the crazy world uncertain world of today number one do you have a relationship with jesus do you know him experientially have you have you given your heart to jesus christ that's where it starts not not if you've been religious not if you've been baptized joined a church have you ever truly given your life to christ if you haven't done that I pray and hope so much this morning before you leave here that you will do that. That's that's where everything starts. That's where everything rises and falls. But he's not just talking to people who need to come to Christ today. He's talking to Christians. And here's here's the next part of this. He says, keep growing in your relationship with him. You've got to have one. But look what he says in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you Christians may know him better. Man, this passage is filled with so many powerful words. There's descriptive adjectives. There's strong verbs that are used. He uses the word wisdom here. I pray that you'll have wisdom. Will, wisdom means to be skillful. Wisdom doesn't mean you can pass a fill-in-the-blank test. It means you can leave that class and p- apply it to life. Wisdom is, getting, is knowing what to do and then doing it. I saw something this week, this quote. It's so true. We are drowning, we are drowning in knowledge and in information, but we're starving for wisdom. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, you can go to your phone, you can go to your computer, your iPad. You, can, you could literally, you, you could Google a million things if you had the time. But man, we are starving to know how to do life. He goes, I pray that you will have the wisdom, is what he says, and the revelation. In other words, I, I, I want the calluses to be peeled off your eyes, off your heart. I want you to have the insight to know how to know Jesus better. Folks, Christianity is not, I got saved, I got baptized, and I'm done. Christianity is the—it's it's called a birth. It's a new birth. You've been born to grow and to fall in love with Jesus. Did you know Jesus wants you to love him more and more and more? He wants to love you more and more and more. I'm a goal setter. I love setting goals. But here's the truth. A lot of us, as we get older, there's certain goals we are never going to top again, Right? I'm never going to run a four-minute mile. By the way, I've never ran a four-minute mile, but I'm not going to. Somebody really big and bad would have to be chasing me before that would happen. I'm never going to bench press 500 pounds. I did that four times in college. It wasn't that hard. That's a joke. Me and a lot of steroids couldn't have done that, I promise you. But I peaked out physically a, a while ago, I'm afraid. But listen, you're not going to peek out with Jesus, friend. You're not going to tap. Well, I memorize the Bible? No, no. You're not going to peek out in the intimacy and the knowledge and the depth that you can share with Jesus Christ. And what you and I need more than anything else is an ongoing, growing depth of relationship with Jesus Christ. My, we've been married a long time, is what my wife said. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult. But you know what? I know, I know we're better today and love her more today than I did 25 years ago. That's pretty good, wasn't it? That got me some brownie points too. But that's true. Are you growing in your intimacy with Jesus? Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Dallas Willard was a famous Christian intellect. He was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, but he wrote a lot on spiritual growth. And I read something this week he had written years ago. He's in heaven now. Here's what he said. You want to grow in your intimacy with Jesus. It's easy. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard. It's simple. It's not complicated. Here's what you do. You come to church. You come to church and you sing and you listen and you fellowship with people and you take it in and you try to live it out and you get up tomorrow and you read your Bible and you pray. Well, I don't like to read. There's Bibles you can listen to now. You, you, can, you start praying asking God to help you to want to read, you know what, I promise God will answer that prayer. I read last week the average American spends two hours and six minutes a day on social media. Not on your computer, not doing work, not looking up Bible verses, not doing good stuff. I mean, not all social media is bad, but on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat. Two hours and six minutes. Now, I'm not telling you to get off of it, but what would happen if you cut that back by 45 minutes and you spent 45 of those minutes praying and reading your Bible and seeking the face of God? You know what? You'd get to know God a whole lot better, wouldn't you? Man, you know the most helpful thing you can do for your life right now? Make sure you know him and be on a a path to know him deeper the rest of your life. Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's my personal verse for the year. Because me and so many of us, man, we chase everything else to make us happy, and it just doesn't do it. But God says, if you will chase me, you will find what you're looking for. You'll find what you're looking for. Man, Putin's scary. But when I snuggle up to Jesus, I feel some comfort. Man, know Jesus deeper. Then he goes on, after saying this, and he lays out three great facts. And I, w- I want to give you three facts that, that are in the Scriptures to focus on today. I think these are really helpful. If they go from our head to our heart, I think they're really helpful. On, uh, on Wednesday, I was driving to work. I was coming up Highway 80, and there's a, a liquor store on the left, and there was a Seagram's truck. A Seagram is an, an alcohol distributor. And on the truck, what caught my attention is it said, alternative facts are dangerous. Huh. Sound a little politically correct for me, but what 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 is that talking about? I've heard one of our top politicians in Washington, not the president, someone else say, "Well, I have my truth and you have your truth." Friend, let me tell you. There there's not facts and your facts and my facts your truth. There is truth and there are facts. Now we may interpret some things differently, but 2 plus 2 equals 4. And if you say it's 5, I'm going to love you. You have the right to say that. That is not an alternative fact or an alternative truth. That is just dumb. I mean, really, 2 and 2, you can do it on your fingers. It's 5. <laughs> See, you're listening. And I don't, really, I don't really want ESPN or a liquor company or the federal government lecturing me about facts and truth. You know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to Jesus ultimately and what i'm fixing to share with you i mean you somebody could say well that's just your opinion that's the bible it is but i'm gonna go with the bible and i'm i believe with all my heart the bible is truth. and what i'm fixing to share with you is truth. here's the first thing focus on what you have in jesus i'm growing in jesus it's so easy for me and for you to get caught up in what we don't have to get caught up in what's going on that's not good and I don't think you don't pay attention to the news. I've, I've heard some preachers telling their people, don't listen to the news. You've got to know what's going on to some extent. But focus on what we have in Jesus. Again, this, this passage is so profound. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be in light. What is that? The eyes of your heart. Remember in the Bible that your heart is Your will. It's your center. It, your heart's the seat of your emotions. It's it's the where you make your decisions. Where you, you do life from. He's saying, man, pray. I'm praying that the calluses and the, the hardness and the laziness on your heart would just be peeled off the eyes of your heart, and that you'll be enlightened again. That you you will you will see in order that you may know the hope. Hope in the New Testament is a confident expectation to what God has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. How many of you want to get an inheritance someday? Four of us. Good. I'm going to tell all your family to send it to me because I want it. All my older people are, are dead and gone. I think my inheritance is gone. But every time I choke at the dinner table, my kids and grandkids have dollar signs in their eyes. you know what an inheritance is you know you know little willie and little harry from england you do prince william and prince harry i'm just joking i'm not trying to make fun of them if you're from england Uh, their mama died in 1997 princess diana and when she died it came out that i guess this was from her family she didn't come from like commoners The boys were gonna get a twenty million dollar inheritance when they turned thirty. Now I don't know if that was twenty million apiece or ten million, but by the time William turned thirty, that had increased to thirty-one and a half million. I don't know about you, even if I had to split it when I was thirty, I'd have taken sixteen mil, wouldn't you? I mean, I would have. And so when those boys were little, it was it was known you're gonna get this. And and of course Jesus is coming back or whatever, but you're gonna get it. I mean it was set aside and and it was probably guarded, and you know, they were gonna get it. The only thing for them was, you know, are they gonna live long enough? And they did. So you could always say with the human inheritance, well, there is a fault factor, but listen, there's not a fault factor with the God inheritance. And we touched on this last week, so I'm just gonna to touch on it again briefly. But listen, when you When you give your life to Christ, if you never have, you will today, if you are a Christian, the moment you got saved, you got an inheritance. One, you got the Holy Spirit. Did you know God lives in you? You're a Christian. Pat yourself and say, God lives in me. God lives in you that's an inheritance isn't it all your sins were forgiven as as you walk with christ and you confess your sins your your sins are forgiven the presence and power of god walks with you lives in you is beside you every step of the way that's a pretty good starting point isn't it and listen that's just the engagement ring if you were here last week the minute you die you know what that full inheritance comes and we saw last week, what we're told about that inheritance is we can't even imagine how wonderful it's going to be when we get to heaven. Can't even imagine. Perfect health, perfect people, perfect relationships, and seeing the face of Jesus for eternity. That is fantastic. You don't deny reality here. You deal with it, but we focus on what we have. Second Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 16 through 18. People to hard times then. We don't lose heart. We're outwardly wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light and momentary, their troubles, we're not light and momentary like you. Would feel yours and mine aren't until you view it from eternity, are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles here. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, But what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal you don't forget what's going on you're not naive to it but you say man sometimes I don't feel like I have much here but boy I've got it waiting on me we saw a picture this is from 1920 some of you felt this way of a little boy coming from a dentist on the door it says painless dentist and this little kid whose face is wrapped up with a bloody tooth is writing liar there in 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 <laughs> is that not great? Is that not great? Let me let me give you a guarantee. This is a guarantee. The moment you walk into heaven and you're in heaven and you turn around and look at the gate from the inside, there's not going to be chalk marks saying liar. You and I are gonna be going, why God just I'm telling you, God's told us this much of what's waiting for us in heaven. This much. Focus on what you have. Here's the second thing. Focus on the power of our God. My goodness. You hear the word nuclear weapons, it ought to make you nervous. I mean, that's like being put in a microwave. That's not good. The power of the world, the power of the evil people, power of people who may not be evil, good people, whatever. Look in verse 19 and 20. He's wanting us to focus on this. And I want you to focus and know his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Again, look at all these adjectives. Incomparable. You can't imagine. Great power, strength, and might for those who believe. For Christians, the power is like the working of his mighty strength. Again, over and over and over, he's kind of redundant in what he's saying. But look in verse 20. It's like the power he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay, you look and you go, okay, can can Jesus lift 10,000 pounds with his pinky? Yes. But raising a dead guy back to life is even greater. It really is. I I saw this article. I saw it uh, several years ago. It's about seven years old. But I mean, still very relevant. It's was by a surgeon and a medical doctor named Thomas Miller. He was looking at the resurrection of Christ from a medical standpoint. He says, the body, your body contains trillions and maybe even 100 trillion cells. Each one of these cells carries out thousands of different chemical reactions. Thus, a bodily resurrection would require some phenomenal power to energize life into all those individual cells, but it would have to do so in a way that each specialized nerve cell could resume their function, each heart cell, their function, the blood cells and the bone cells, and so on, their function. He goes on and he says, A bodily resurrection implies that thousands of processes in trillions of cells must be restarted with the exact, unique, Inner coordination that existed before death. Dr. Miller wrote that someone who could do that would possess unimaginable knowledge and unbelievable power. Think about this. We have good doctors in our churches. We have our church here. We have good doctors in our city, in our state, in our country. Good medical stuff. Okay, so you take a guy, we'll use Josh, and you take him on Friday, and we let the youth do a lot of this to him. They beat him. They kick him, they flog him, they nail him to a cross. Janelle's helping with this. They set the cross, he hangs there for six hours, and then they take a sword and stick it in his side and pierce his pericardium, his heart sac, and he dies. And then Justin and I wrap him up like a mummy and stick him in an airtight cave on Friday afternoon. Then we get all the best doctors we can find the best equipment on Sunday. We pull the tomb out. We take the mummified out. You know what? There's not a doctor or a piece of equipment in the world that's going to get him back to life. It is not going to happen. And you go back 2,000 years ago, think about this. The way they practiced medicine was with wine and herbs and a, and a knife and a fork. That may be an exaggeration, but, I mean, it was not very advanced. They, they understood. You're talking about raising a dead guy back to life who they had seen crucified. They knew that is totally impossible, but our God did it. Listen, Putin's powerful. Atomic bombs are powerful. Biden's powerful. Trump's powerful. They are nothing compared to God. They are nothing compared to God. The power of our God... Focus on the power of our God. Luke 18, 27 says, the things which were impossible with men are possible with God. What is impossible with God? Nothing is impossible with God. Focus on the power of our God. Here's a third thing. Focus on the authority of our Jesus. Focus on the authority. You see a lot of authorities on TV. You see a lot of big shots on TV. Listen to what it says about our Jesus in verse 20. This power he exerted, he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The right hand, 2,000 years ago, was a position of power and honor. It still is. You talk about some of them being your right hand person, right hand man, right hand woman. The Father and the Son are equal. That's a picture of the authority and the power of Jesus. In verse 21, he continues, and he says, Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He's being comprehensive here. A lot of the Jewish people thought that the angels ruled the world. They would have believed God was over but the angels ruled. Here's what he says. It's not me. This is what God says. Where does our Jesus sit? He sits above any dictator, any president, any world leader, above any demon among any, da- above any angel <laughs> far above Satan that our God sits the highest seat in the universe and the galaxy of everything that's out there above everybody or anybody that has ever been. He sits above it. Listen, your God's got a good seat, doesn't he? And he continues in verse 22 and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church now sitting at someone's feet can be two things one it can be a sweet submission my dogs will sit at my feet because they want me to rub them you know love on them but they're humble they're sweet and they want to be fed so you know it's all that but also when you're, when you're placed at someone's feet that's, that's kind of humiliating a little bit too and I think what he's saying is man don't lose sight of this You've forgotten who your God is. Every authority, every ruler in the angelic being, in the unseen world, in the, in the seen world, will sit and bow at the feet of Jesus someday. We've got three pictures I want to show you. You know who all these people are. There's President Trump on the right. There's people here that don't like Trump. I want to tell you, our God's way above Trump. People here don't like Biden. I want to tell you. Our God's way above Biden. And I'm going to throw this in. He's way above you and me too. And there's Putin. And Putin is the leader of Russia. He's making everybody a little bit shaky right now, a little nervous. You know what? Our God's way above Putin. Sometimes we get afraid and we get nervous and we forget. A hundred years from now, those guys, and I guarantee at least me, we're not going to be here. But God's still going to be on the throne. God's still going to be on the throne. Man, focus on the power and the authority and the position of our Jesus. The Bible says someday every knee will bow and tongue confess Jesus is Lord. You're going to either do it on your way down to hell or on your way up to heaven. You need to do it while you're here, by the way. We live in an anxious world. Anxiety has got worse with covid it's certainly bad right now. If you were in the Ukraine, it would be terrible. What's anxiety? Anxiety is, is a nervousness. It's a fear. You just don't know what's going to happen. And if you've ever suffered from anxiety, it's bad because you, sometimes you're just nervous and you don't know why. But, but maybe it is that fear. Of you just don't know how things are going to turn out. But I saw a quote that I thought was so good for us this morning. The solution for anxiety is the assurance everything is going to be okay. I mean, would you be nervous if you were getting ready to play the game or going to a big crowd, a big crowd of people you didn't know, that makes you nervous, or being in a crowd like this, it makes you nervous. If you knew, if you knew, everything's going to be okay. If war breaks out in Europe and it spreads to America, but you know, Ultimately, you don't want that, but ultimately, if you know everything's going to be okay. And here's our assurance today. When you know Jesus, everything's going to be okay. It doesn't mean there's not going to be bumps and hiccups or problems, but what that means is when all is said and done, that we're going to be okay. So you focus You focus on what you have in Jesus. You focus on the power of our God. You focus on the position of our God. And you can rest as you know him and as you know him deeper. Things are going to be okay. This morning, if you're here, you're watching and you're not a Christian, when we stand in a moment, I want to invite you to come and give your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to do that after church. If you're here, you're watching online, stay with us. And I want to pray with you and help you do that where you are, if you're willing to do that. You need to know Jesus personally. Today is your day. Maybe you're looking for a church to join. We would love for you to be a part of our church family. Online, you can join online. You can catch us after church and join. Or you can come when we stand and join. You're a Christian. I think Christians, we need to do one of two things, or maybe both. Maybe it's some repenting today. Of our lack of pursuit of God, our lack of focus on God. And, and we also need to just rejoice in what we have in Jesus. And then it's going to be okay. Let's stand. As God leads you, we'll be down here waiting for you. Respond to Him. I give you my life. I give you my truth. Jesus, you are my God, and you are in love. Jesus, my heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all. My life in your hands My heart is yours My heart is yours Take it all, take it all My life in your hands I lay down my life I take up my cross Jesus You are my God whatever the cost Jesus I want to ask you to bow your heads and there's plenty of time to come to the altar if you'd like to but where you where you're standing or at home as a Christian man let' let's get it right with God let's pursue him let's fall back in love with him. Let's let's rejoice and hang on to what we have in our God. If you're not a Christian, but maybe you're ready today to give your life to Christ, pray with me sincerely and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. I ask you to come into my heart and i surrender my life to you jesus i surrender to you give my pain too much for me but there is no impossible with you